My text for this morning is uh, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. But before we come to God's word, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help me now to lift up high your Son, the risen Lord. I pray that we would magnify him and worship him and enjoy him together this morning. I pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, it's lovely to have you all here, and I especially love having the kids here. I always think of the words of an old Scottish minister that Tara and I heard say once, way off the northwest coast of Scotland, no crying, church dying. And so I even love to hear the crying. The title I've chosen for this morning's sermon is An Empty Tomb Full of Meaning. An Empty Tomb Full of Meaning. And as we gather together this Easter morning and think together about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, think together about Jesus rising from the grave, I want us to focus in on the empty tomb. Now, I want us to focus on the empty tomb because it seems that Mark is focusing us on the empty tomb. Unlike the three other gospel writers, Mark doesn't give us a body. The physical resurrected Jesus never appears in the gospel of Mark. He's only spoken about. The angel only declares that he's come. And so we're going to focus in on the empty tomb because Mark is focusing us in on the empty tomb. And so though it's important to focus on the sayings of the resurrected Jesus and on the actions of the resurrected Jesus, for the time being, we're just going to focus on the information that Mark gives us. We're going to focus on the empty tomb. We're going to focus on the experience that three women, who I call the two Marys and Salome, there's Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome, they come to this tomb, and so we're going to focus on their experiences. If we look at our text, we'll see that these three devoted women woke up early on a Sunday morning, probably like some of you, uh, to honor the Lord Jesus, who was their master and their friend. They had purchased a collection of spices and ointments, and they were going to use these to anoint the body of Jesus, which was a common way of honoring the dead in uh, first century Jewish culture. It was a form of what you might call mild embalming, and it was employed to ward off the stench of death for at least a little while. And so these women were doing what so many wives and daughters and sisters and mothers had done over the centuries, which is tend to and care for the beloved dead. But of course, if you know the story at all, you'll know that these women uh, were in for the shock of their lives. Everything that they had expected to meet with at the tomb was not at the tomb. When they got to the tomb, their expectations were completely overturned, and they found themselves having to grapple with a wonderful, terrifying, and frankly confusing new reality. The empty tomb defied their expectations and presented them with a new story that they would slowly have to come to terms with over time. Of course, this shocking turn of events, this shocking overturn of expectations, is at the very heart of the Christian story. We Christians are who we are because we believe in the shocking good news of the empty tomb. The story of the empty tomb teaches us that life astonishingly bursts out of death. We know as Christians that victory shockingly bursts out of defeat. And we know that joy unexpectedly bursts out of sorrow. The shock of the empty tomb 
The shock that these three women felt on the very first Easter morning has resounded down through the ages and continues to shock unexpecting men and women to this very day. Even today, those who come to know the Lord Jesus are shocked and surprised to learn how much life there is in the midst of death, how much victory there is in the midst of defeat, and how much joy there is in the midst of sorrow. And so as we concentrate on the empty tomb, full of meaning, we'll find that this shock is a good shock, a welcome shock. We'll find that the surprise of the empty tomb is a good surprise, the surprise of good news, not of bad news. If we look at the beginning of our text, we'll find that these women were in a certain sense expecting trouble. They had made some plans. They had bought themselves some spices and some ointments. They were prepared to anoint the body of Jesus, but they hadn't planned for everything. As they were walking to the tomb that morning, they realized, what happens if the stone is still in front of the tomb? Who's going to move it? We're certainly not going to move it. The stone would have been absolutely massive. And when they pushed it in front of the tomb, it would have fallen down into a a rut. And so three women couldn't have moved it. Three men couldn't have moved it. Three centurions probably couldn't have moved it. It was a massive stone. And so they went to the tomb expecting trouble, not really sure how it was going to go, not really sure if they would even be able to get at the body of Jesus. But of course, when they come to the tomb, they find that their trouble has evaporated. They find that the stone has been conveniently rolled away. They find an open door. And like so many of God's people before them, they find that God has made a way. They find that God had had a plan the whole time even though they hadn't made a full plan. Makes me think of Moses when the people of God and Moses come to the very edge of the Red Sea. They're not really sure how they're going to get across it. (laughs) Pharaoh's armies are hot on their tail. And then lo and behold, God says to Moses, walk into the sea. And he walks into the sea and he parts the Red Sea. God makes a way for his people. Or I think of Joshua and the people of God when they come to the eastern bank of the river Jordan, right? They're standing there about to go into the promised land, not sure how they're going to get there. But of course, God makes a way. He stops the river Jordan, piles up the waters in the north end of the Jordan so that the people can walk through. God moved the immovable so that the people of God could make their way through. God rolled the stone away from the tomb so that three of his precious daughters could walk into the tomb, into the emptiness of the tomb, and see that all was not lost, but rather that God was up to something great. Indeed, that God had done something great. And so right off the bat, we learn that we as the people of God so often sin by expecting too little of the Lord. We so often sin when we expect God to fail us, or God to let us down, or God to come short in our time of need. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, you will find that Jesus was constantly having to cure his disciples of this disease. You will see that Jesus was so often teaching his disciples to believe and to trust in him, to trust him uh, to make a way. Some of you may know the story of Jesus calming the storm. It's another instance of God moving the immovable, God saying, stop to the wind and the waves and the clouds and the waters. In the midst of the storm, the disciples are despairing of their lives. They're freaking out, and they're saying to Jesus, like, don't you care? 
Don't you care that we're, we're about to die? So Jesus gets up from his nap, and in the midst of the storm, he simply says, stop, and the storm stops. And then he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It's almost as if the Lord says, do you still not get it? I'm in charge, and I'll make a way. The story of the empty tomb and so many other stories in the Bible teach us that when we expect trouble, God has often made a way. God has often been in the background preparing things in his way. Often we can't imagine the way that God is going to do it, but he goes ahead and does it anyways, um, which I'm very grateful for. We also see in our text that the three women went to the tomb expecting death. They went to the tomb expecting corruption. They went to the tomb expecting the stench of a rotting body and the horrific image of Jesus' body after his crucifixion. When they enter the tomb, they don't only find that the dead body is absent, but they find that an angel is very much not absent. Instead of the ugliness of a dead body, they find the terrifying beauty of an angel. And he's clothed in a white robe. Now, the angel was very kind to these women. He appeared to them in the form of a young man. Sometimes angels appear in a much more terrifying way. But nevertheless, as angels are always wont to do, he has to assure these women that he's safe and that they don't have to be alarmed. He says to them, do not be alarmed. And so once they've calmed down just a little bit, the angel says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place they laid him. The angel knew that these women had come to the tomb expecting death and decay, but it was the angel's role to declare to them, to declare to these women that Jesus had risen, that yes, he was dead. He was actually dead at one point, but now he was alive. He walked away. He'd gotten up and walked away. The angel even focuses the eyes of the three women on the place where Jesus was lying and says, look, he's not here anymore. He's gone. The empty tomb of the Lord Jesus teaches us that there is life where we expect death. This admittedly is a very shocking thing. We as human beings have gotten used to thinking of death as the final thing. We as human beings have gotten used to thinking of death as having the final word. We don't expect things to come back to life, let alone to walk away. I'm sure Naomi would be surprised if she saw something like that at the hospital. But we as Christian folk are people of the resurrection. One of our characteristics as a people is that we are a people that believe in the triumph of life over death. This is what the three women found in the empty tomb on that first Easter Sunday. They found that life had triumphed over death. And this is the source of immense joy and hope for everyone who loves life and everyone who loves the Lord. It shows that the Christian is someone who should rejoice in life, rejoice in growth and abundance and fruitfulness and so on. I've so often thought that it was a very wise thing of the church to celebrate Easter in the springtime. This is a time when everything is coming to life. And we as Christian people love life. We rejoice in life. This is an invigorating faith, <laughs> a life-giving faith. To use the old word, a, a vivifying faith. If we look back to our text, we can see that these women also went to the tomb expecting defeat. They went to the tomb expecting a dead and defeated Jesus, a dead and defeated Lord. And it makes me think of back in the Middle Ages, sometimes 
two warring kingdoms would come together and they would have their fight. And once the fight was over, the victorious side would say to the defeated side, okay, now you can come back into the field and you can pick up your dead and you can leave, but you've lost. You've lost. That's not, you've lost. <laughs> Sorry. And so the two Marys and Salome walked to the tomb. They walked to the tomb of Jesus, demoralized, defeated, and downcast. They went to the tomb as those who had lost the battle. They went to the tomb to tend to their defeated Lord, who they thought had lost in the battle. But when they come to the tomb, they found that it was empty. They found not defeat, but the signs of victory. And they found that their Lord was not dead, but alive. They found life when they had expected death, victory when they had expected defeat. And they realized that their Lord was very much alive and that he had in fact conquered. I love uh, this little quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He says, imagine for a moment the reaction of hell to the death of Christ. Jesus was bound with the bands of death. What celebration, what joy. God was defeated. Vengeance was the devil's. But they reckoned without the wisdom of God. For Christ could not be held down by the bands, by the bands of death. In fact, through death, he was paralyzing the one who had the power of death. And he was setting his people free. What seemed to be defeat was actually victory. The resurrection morning was hell's gloomiest day. Satan saw that the wisdom of God, and he tasted defeat. The empty tomb is a sign of triumph to the Christian and a sign of great frustration to the devil. The empty tomb reminds us that the powers of the devil, hell, sin, and death could not hold Jesus and that he reigns victorious over all of them. And so in a sense, the the two Marys and Salome had gone to the tomb to close up shop. They probably thought that the excitement of the previous three years was over now. They probably thought that their days of following Jesus were over. They probably thought that the Christian age had come to a swift and premature end, that Christianity would go the way of so many other cults and minor religions and would just fade off the face of the earth. They thought that probably within a few generations, nobody would know the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe they planned uh, to remember the Lord fondly. Maybe they planned to go back to his grave every year and remember the good old days. Maybe they were tempted to start a sort of memorial religion, which remembered Christ as a great teacher, a great man, a great servant, but ultimately as a dead one who could only be remembered, who could only be memorialized. The two Marys and Salome had gone to the tomb to close up shop, to shut things down, to bring everything to a half-decent end. But when they got to the tomb, they found that things were just beginning. They found that Jesus was not resting in peace, but rather that he had jumped up out of his grave and had gone on before them, and that he was waiting for them. As we think about the empty tomb, some of the most thrilling truths about Jesus come into focus. We see that Jesus is the living Savior, a living Lord, that he is, as the Apostle Peter once said, the Son of the living God. We see that Jesus is victorious, not defeated, that he's not finished, but only just beginning to do all the good that he wants to do in the world. I know I've been asking you to focus on the empty tomb, but my hope is that like focusing on the cross, the real point is to focus on Jesus. The empty tomb is so full of meaning, so worthy of our contemplation, because it says so much about Jesus. I remember once talking to a friend who had been over to Israel to do a sort of Holy Land tour. 
visiting some of the sites that are important in biblical history. And in particular, he was telling me about his experience of visiting the garden tomb, which is one of the two places where they think Jesus might have been buried. And he was rather excited. He was filled with anticipation, and he wondered what the Lord might do in his heart when he came into the garden tomb. He thought he might have some sort of religious experience. Anyways, he walks down into the tomb, and he realizes that it's just a hole in the ground, you know, a rocky hole in the ground. And uh, his heart isn't strangely warmed or anything like that. But then he turns around, and on the wall behind him, he sees the words of Mark chapter 16, verse 6. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He's not here. That's when the penny dropped for my friend. That's when the Lord touched the heart of my friend and reminded him, I'm not in a tomb. I'm alive. I've risen. I've got up and walked away. You know, at the end of the day, I think it's a beautiful thing that we don't actually know where Jesus was buried. I think it's a beautiful thing that we have no idea where he was buried. Because the truth is we don't go to a tomb to worship Jesus. We can worship him anytime we want within the temple of our hearts. And so I love that Christianity is not the worship of a dead God. I love that we don't have to go to the cemetery to worship him, but we worship a living God. After the angel had proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus to the two Marys and Salome, the angel gives them a commission. He says to them, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. These three women probably came to the tomb expecting their acts of honor to be the last things that they would do for Jesus. But when they get to the tomb, they're given a job. They're given a commission. They're, they're told that this thing is going to keep chugging along and there's things for you to do. And so the angel says, go collect all the disciples because, of course, they'd all run away. Get them all together again. This thing's not over. And then tell them to go to Galilee because Jesus is going to be waiting for them there. And so as soon as these women come into the tomb, it's almost as if they're chucked right back out of the, right back out of the tomb and said, you know, go to Galilee. There's more to be done here. And so these women had had the shock of their lives. They came to the tomb of Jesus not expecting it to be empty. They came expecting trouble but found that God had a plan. Came expecting death but found life. They came expecting defeat but found victory. They found that there were things to do, that there was a commission that they had received from an angel. And so these women found that the empty tomb was, in fact, full of meaning. They found that their expectations had been completely overturned. They found that their lives had, in a profound way, been revolutionized. And so the question is, what did they do? How did they react? Well, let's read verse 8 of our text. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. <coughs> now, some people think the end of Mark's gospel is very anticlimactic. They think to themselves, really, it just ends there without them telling anybody? <coughs> and we know some people really didn't like the ending of Mark because they wrote a new one. Most of your Bibles will have a few extra verses in Mark chapter 16, and most of your Bibles will also have a little note somewhere saying that the earliest manuscripts, the, early, the earliest copies of Mark, don't actually have those verses. And so at this point, the vast majority of scholars agree that the second ending is a later edition, that it actually wasn't written by 
Mark the Evangelist. And so we can see that some people didn't like the ending. And just so you know, don't do that. <laughs> just, just take what the Bible says. We don't need to fix it. When we grapple with this last verse of our text, when we think about how abrupt and how seemingly anticlimactic it is, we come to see in a new way that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, is a really big deal. The empty tomb is full of meaning, and so it's something that we actually really need to think about. Right? To expect these women to wrap their minds around the resurrection right away and to say, oh yeah, I'd like to share that, is a pretty remarkable request. And so it's something we have to come to terms with and grapple with. If it is, in fact, true that Jesus died and rose again, then we need to rejig our whole worldview. We need to reorder our priorities and reorient our lives. If Jesus really rose again from the dead, then we will have to spend our whole lives thinking through the implications and reckoning with this reality. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, at the very end of that book, in chapter 15, <laughs> says that if the resurrection's not true, then we're all fools. If the resurrection's not true, then the Christian life is a sham. Everything depends on the resurrection, right? And so we see there that Paul and the early church had reoriented their whole lives around the fact that Jesus had risen again from the dead. You can imagine that the two Marys and Salome first had to come to terms with the fact that Jesus was no longer out of the picture, that he, that he was out there, that he was alive, waiting for them to come. And as they gathered together, they probably spoke together in hushed tones and said, what should we do? Should we actually go to Galilee? <laughs> should we risk telling Peter? He's extreme. <laughs> How's he going to react? But we know from the other Gospels, the book of Acts and Christian history, that these women did, in fact, go and tell the apostles the good news. We know that they overcame their fear and eventually fulfilled the commission that was given to them by the angel. But the challenge these three women faced is the same challenge that every Christian faces. All of us has to ask ourselves a series of important questions. All of us have to grapple with the reality of the empty tomb. Do we believe that he's alive? Do we believe that he's triumphed over death? Do we believe that Jesus has won the victory over death and hell? Do we believe that the Christian movement continues to bustle forward, empowered by a living God? Do we believe that Jesus is still out there in the world, working by the power of his Holy Spirit in the lives of women and men? And if so, then let's follow him. Let's go to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've gathered together today to worship you as our risen Lord, as our conquering King, not as a dead God, but as a God who is very much alive and very much at work in the world. And so, dear Jesus, as we move into the next part of our service, we pray that you would be with us, blessing us in our time of worship and drawing us closer to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.